0: Thank you, Brother Marcy, for leading us up to this point. Um, as you've already said, we are continuing in a series in the Psalms. Tonight, I have been uh, assigned Psalm 2, so if you would, turn to Psalm 2. And because this is a shorter version of what we normally do on Sunday. Um, this is more like a sermonette, so I will be limited in what I can cover, uh, but Lord willing, we'll do the best we can, and hopefully you will leave here encouraged, edified, and strengthened and uh, consider this as, as a dessert, if you would. Yeah. We, we've had a meal this morning, and now we're following up with a, a, a sweet dessert. So uh, we're going to continue on with our worship for this evening. So Psalm 2, hear now the word of the living God. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The 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 kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy heel. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth, your possession. You have, you shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now, therefore, O kings, be wise, be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Let us go one more time to the throne of grace. Our Father and our God, we pray that you would help us to glean from your word the truth that is found within We pray that you would speak to us individually and collectively. Help us to know you. Help us to grow in our knowledge and in our grace, in your knowledge and in your grace. Help us, Lord God, that we may decrease, that you might increase. Pray that you would get all of the glory. Guide this time. In your son's name we pray. Amen. So um, I'm going to begin just um, as for an introduction. Unlike many of the other psalms, um, this psalm doesn't list its author, uh, nor does it give a title. However, according to Acts 4:25 in the New Testament, the apostles believe David is the author of this psalm. Um, in um, Acts um, 4.25, we're able to see that. This is a messianic psalm. It specifically speaks about the Messiah within the text. You will see that. This psalm represents a time in history when people expected God to sin a Messiah. They were looking forward to a Messiah. Um, other Psalms uh, we know uh, about are Psalm 22, um, Psalm 110, and Psalm 118. Uh, they also speaks uh, speak about um, a Messiah. The Book of Psalms have been given. A sufficient title. It's been given a sufficient title. This this word Psalms means praises. One writer describes the book of Psalms as a collection of hymns and prayers. They are written by various people over a long period of time. King David wrote some of them and priest and Directors of temple music wrote others. As you know, many of the Psalms refer to Christ. Uh, For example, Jesus as king is mentioned in Psalm 2, 45, 72, and 110. Uh, Jesus' sufferings is mentioned in Psalm 22 and Psalm 41. Jesus' resurrection, Jesus' resurrection is mentioned in Psalm 16, and Jesus' ascension is mentioned in Psalm 68, verse 18. But in particular, this psalm speaks about the divine and human kingships. So, I'm going to be uh, kind of breaking up these uh, verses here in, in section. And in the first section, uh, I've entitled that The Great Rebellion. It's interesting how the psalm is, opens with this particular uh, way of doing things. It says, why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? So here in the text, we see that the people... Plotted against the Lord, but their plot was done in vain because they were unable to produce it in the first place. Whatever they were plotting to do, it was a useless plot. It was a foolish plot. It was, as the text says, it was done in vain. In other words, it was empty and worthless and It wasn't valuable to be able to carry on. And so these were empty efforts, if you would. Uh, The people plotted in vain. Uh, This points to man's depravity. Uh, listen to these verses that mention man's depraved state and we can see why people say and do the things that they do. We can in many ways be baffled when people cert- say certain things to us or they say certain things to others or they just respond in a foolish way. And so Psalm thirty-eight twelve says, those who seek my life lay their Snares, those who seek my hurt speak of ruin and meditate treachery all the day long. Proverbs 24, um, verse 2 says, For their hearts devise violence and their lips talk of trouble. So here we see the evidences of the depravity of man. Isaiah 59 verse 3 says, For your hands are defiled with blood and your fingers with iniquity. Your lips have spoken lies. Your tongue mutters wickedness. And lastly, Isaiah 59 13 says, Transgressing and denying the Lord. So now we've seen how the depravity of man can affect their neighbors, but also we see the depravity of man uh, putting himself uh, before the Lord in disrespect. Uh, The text says, transgressing and denying the Lord and turning back from following our God, speaking oppression and revoke, concealing and uttering from the heart, lying words. And so we see why the psalmist would say in the beginning, why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain? So what the psalmist is saying here is that we, we know that our efforts are useless if they're not done unto the Lord for his sake and for his glory. It would be foolish for us even as believers to do things not unto the Lord, not for his glory. And so we're able to learn even from those who have gone before us. We're able to see these reminders along the way that what we do, we want to do it all for the glory of God. We also see um, that it is useless to do anything apart from God. And so we know that we can be work. Um, we know that we can be doing things that are. Are useless in the sense of their worth and their value, but they could be useless in the sense of their efforts, their power, our strengths, anything. We can be wasting our lives, if you would, if we're not doing it unto the Lord. And so we see this Picture here of the people rebelling against God. I, I've I've named this the Great Rebellion because they went abo- they went beyond um, rebelling against man in the sense of offending man or sinning against man, but they have gone to this to the point of offending God, and we're going to see that here in the text. Um, so. What we see here in uh, verse two, it says the kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed saying. And so uh, this points to their disposition before God. They have stood in opposition against God's plan, against God's people, against God's purpose. And so. One of the clear problems we see in the text is the foolishness of the kings and of the rulers. Uh, They plan to rebel against the one true God who rules uh, through the psalmist. Uh, though the psalmist had the Davidic king in mind, in an ultimate sense, Christ, the king of kings and lord of lords is in view in the text as well. And so we see that here. Um, so most recently... Um, We've had our midterm uh, elections here, and we see that some of the changes uh, have been made amongst the political leaders. Uh, we know that many of those changes will affect us as believers because they don't believe in the same way that we believe in. And so we see that those who are um, ruling, those who do have authority, In like, while in the like manner is doing the same things that the nations were doing here in that they were disconnecting themselves from God, not wanting to have nothing to do with the Lord. And so we see the evidences of that when certain laws are passed, when certain things are done in a certain way. We see this. And so in In reference to the great rebellion, verse three says, and here where we're able to see it, it says, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. In other words, let's just disconnect ourselves from having anything to do with the Lord, anything to do with God. And so this is a figure of speech in rebellion against God. Essentially these people made up of kings, rulers and nations is opposed to all of the things that has to do with God. It's as if they says and as if they have said and have turned their back saying I don't want anything to do with God. And so we we hear that when we are in our sphere of influence, whether it's on our jobs, amongst our friends, but but we're not to be alarmed at this because we understand the deprived nature of man. So um, the next thing we're able to see here in verses four through six, verses four through six, we see that the sovereign one speaks. The sovereign one speaks uh, in those verses. Here it says, he who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. The Lord finds their foolishness humorous. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, in, on Zion, my he, holy hill. And so here we're able to to see that the way that God responds to the people's rebellion, he responds by saying, I'm setting up a king who shall reign forever. A king that shall hold the throne forever and ever. And so God's response is, First he laughs like really this is foolishness. The Lord at the, the Lord at the end of the day will proceed in giving justice out to those deserving. And so the Lord finds that the people's response to him is foolishness. They have spoken. Uh, with disrespect and with dishonor, but God will speak to them. In verse 5, we see it there. He will speak to them in his wrath, and that's a wrath that is righteous. He will speak to them with righteous wrath. He will terrify terrify them in his righteous fury. And the way the Lord responds is is that he's setting up a kingdom. He's responding by, I will put my anointed one in place. The Messiah will indeed come. Then in verse seven, he says, I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. These kings who who think they're in control is now threatened by God with the establishment of another king who is king above all kings. It's as if God says, you think you are ruling now, but I'm going to strip away your kingdom. I'm going to take everything away from you because I'm setting up my king." My son. Their thrones, in the most ultimate sense, will be destroyed. They eventually will be throneless, kings having no one to rule. Here we were able to see that their kingdom will be taken away. They will have no rule, no authority, and no power. But those who are trusting in the anointed one, the Christ of God, the Messiah, will be with God in his kingdom forever. And so at the end of the verses, in verses 10 through 12, we're able to see that exhortation, and we'll get to it uh, here soon. But I want to quote what one of the Um, one of the theologians says uh, about uh, these particular verses about God's kingdom and his affirming of his kings. It says the psalmist of his king, the psalmist now spoke of God's affirmation of the king to show by what right the king rules. The decree refers to the Davidic covenant in which God declared that he would be father to the king. And the king would be his son. So when David became king, God described their affiliation as a father-son relationship. So the expression son took on the meaning, meaning of a messianic title. You are my son. That's quoted from 2 Samuel 7, 14, the David did covenant. It's, so it's, it's, it's appropriate here, the writer states, by the king to show his legitimate right to rule. It says then, today then refers to the coronation day and the expression, I have begotten you refers not to physical, but it is an extended metaphor describing his becoming of God's son. So God is decreeing, declaring to the nations the coming of Christ who is the anointed one, the Messiah, who would rule forever. And he continues. After the declaration of Uh, of his king. God declares his king. He says, ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth, earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. These verses speaks of The justice of God, the coming of a Messiah, the one who will sovereignly rule. What's interesting here is uh, Zwingli uses this verse in preparation for prayer. And there he states, I ask and I quote, I ask Christ for this one thing only that he will enable me to endure all things courageously. And that he break me as a potter's vessel or make me strong as it pleases him. And so for points of application, we're able to to ask the Lord to break us, that we might be all of which God would have us to be, that we might live in a way that pleases the Lord, that honors the Lord, that brings glory to his name. In other words, it leads us to verses 10 through 12, which we're able to receive this exhortation that simply states do the right thing. The point that is being made in verses 10 uh, through 12 is do the right thing. Now you have presented yourself In opposition against God, God responds by saying, I'm going to set up my kingdom. In other words, if God says there is a way out, uh, I will give you good news, even though you are opposed to me. There is a way out. And here's what he says, but he gives warning with the way out. Here he says, now, therefore, O kings, be wise. In other words, stop being foolish, doing things that oppose God. And he says, be wise, be wise, be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way for his wrath is quickly kindled. Then it says, blessed are all Who take refuge in him. So, doing the right thing can consist of being wise. And the wise choice uh, that we have is, as it says, serve the Lord with fear, come before God humbly. In order for us to have right relationship with God, we must humble ourselves. If you're here today and you don't have right relationship with God, it requires humility, recognizing that we are sinners desperately in need of God's grace. But if we are safe, we still need to come before our Lord humbly confessing our sins because God is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. So it says, serve the Lord with fear. Then it says, rejoice. In other words, the most happiest state that we can ever be in is to know who we are in Christ. Know that we are God's people. Know that if we receive Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one, we can rejoice. We can tremble in respect of who God is, his character, his nature, his holiness. We can come before God in a right way. And then it says, embrace God. And he uses that expression by saying, kiss the son. When we reflect upon the goodness of God, the kindness of God, the mercy of God, the love of God, we can come near to God. We can come near to the throne of grace. But when we are separated from the Lord, if we don't know the Lord, then we will continue to remain under his righteous wrath. And then it says, it's as if the psalmist says, do it now. Come to the Lord now, for his wrath is quickly kindled. For in receiving the Lord, blessed are all who take refuge in him. It's wisdom to seek the Lord. It's, it's, it's wise for us to come to know the Lord, to seek his face, to ask of his Wisdom of his guidance of his direction, and we do this by way of a cross and so the respons- the, the, the responsibility of the cross is that the cross is what is god 's plan for answering all of life's issues God chose to answer all of life's trials, all of life's difficulties, by a way of a cross. And it is through the cross, it is through the cross that God was able to bring man nearer to himself. It is through the cross that the call of those who would respond to him in faith would receive the Lord. It is through or by way of a cross. It is through a cross that God triumphed over all of life, all of life's difficulties. The cross brings glory to God, glory to the Lord Jesus Jesus Christ. The cross refers to how Christ went to, um, went to, let me, let me rephrase, uh, the cross of Christ refers to how he was able to take upon himself the death that we deserve. It was the climax, if you would, of eternity, being with God once and for all. The cross brings reconciliation. The cross brings identification. The cross releases believers of their old way of living and he brings them to a new way of life. The cross is central to the Christian message. Come to know Christ. It is the symbol of discipleship. We must know Christ as Lord and Savior. We must continue in Having our lives governed by him, we must continue pressing into the Lord. Psalm 2 is a reminder of that, that we're to kiss the Son, serve the Lord with fear, rejoice with trembling. It's a reminder for us to continue in doing the right thing, for our God is faithful. Let us pray. Our Father and our God, we give you thanks for your word. We pray, Lord, that you would use your word, Lord, to glorify yourself. In Jesus' name, amen.